Well, Father, as we gather in this unconventional manner through podcasts and view via social media, uh, Lord, I still pray that hearts will uh, be opened, eyes will see, minds will comprehend the truths that you'd have us to learn from your word today. Lord, may your name be made much of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the Galatians. And as you do, I pray you are doing well. Pray that you are making the most of your time together. Not Pray that you're not running out of toilet paper. Um, but uh, please take time to read any of the announcements that are uh, attached to the email that was sent out today. Um, but as for now... Uh, let's just take time to open up our Bibles and to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to resume the series through Galatians that we have been going through for the last couple months. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now think about what Paul says here in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whether we realize it or not, it, it's a very timely word for, for each of us today, especially considering our current circumstance. But here, here's one of the things I, I love about expositional preaching. Here, here's one of the things I, I love about preaching through books of the Bible and just tackling whatever comes next. It shows us very clearly that all of God's word is applicable and profitable to our life and to our souls in every single circumstance. And I believe this text is a prime example of this, because if I were just picking a passage to minister to us in this season, I'd pick one similar to the one that we looked at last week in Philippians. I would turn to a psalm like Psalm 46, 
all good, encouraging passages in times such as this. Something that calms our fear and calms our anxiety, points us to, to the Lord in, in these ways. Maybe that's what you've turned tuned in today looking for. And if so, I, believe me, I totally understand. Because I would not naturally have turned to Galatians myself here. But Galatians 5 is where the Lord has us today. In fact, this passage has been set to be preached on this date since well before Christmas. And I'll be honest, when I started working on this message, I was like, okay, (laughs) how in the world is this in any way relevant for us today? No church, what I found what I found is, is how timely and needed this word from God is to, to my soul, and, and I pray to you as well. But to see its application rightly, and, and by that I mean not just making it say what we want it to say. We're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. We need to understand the passage and its application in its proper context. As always, context is key. We know that Paul's writing to a church, the Galatians, like a, a series of, of cities there in the region of Galatia who have been um, infiltrated, if you will, by false teachers. False teachers are saying you have to become Jewish in order to, to be saved, basically. You believe in Jesus and be circumcised. Be, believe in Jesus and obey the law. So we have several questions that naturally come out of the text such as this. Like, like one, how can we be free from the law, completely free from the law, and yet at the same time be expected to fulfill the law? Like, how does that work? That's a question, right? It seems like a contradiction. And, and then, how in the world does any of this apply to our current circumstance? Well, five questions this, this morning, evening, whenever you're listening to this, starting with number one. What does it mean to be free in Christ? What does it mean to be free in Christ? Paul saying in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Then in verse 13, look how he says, For you were called to freedom. It's almost like a bookend there. We're starting with freedom and ending with freedom. It's awesome, right? We who are in Christ have been given freedom. We're, We're called to freedom. Yes! All about freedom. (laughs) But what does that mean? Is this the freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, without the fear of of punishment? No. Can you imagine that? I don't want to imagine that. Our current circumstances have taken me beyond the the realm of what I know as reality. Like To to be able to just people do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, with no fear of punishment... That's a scary thought. But honestly, that, that's what some people think that this freedom implies. To be totally free is just to do whatever you want, whenever you want. It comes back to the language even of once saved, always saved. Maybe you're familiar with that language. Maybe you're not. I, I grew up hearing that language, like once saved, always saved. But if you're not familiar with it, either way, it's referring to how a Christian can never lose their salvation. Once you come to faith in Christ, you can never do anything to lose your salvation. Like anything. And let me be clear, we firmly believe the Bible teaches this. 
Now, I, I don't particularly care for how it's worded with the language of once saved, always saved, but its intended meaning is true. It's what we refer to as the perseverance of the saints. Those who are in Christ will continue to persevere in Christ without the fear of, of separation or judgment or condemnation. Like trials come, difficulties come, like, like we're in right now. We who are in Christ are going to continue to follow Christ. Doesn't mean we're not going to have moments of uncertainty. Doesn't mean that we're not going to have to, to wrestle through anxiety and fear. We will. But we're going to continue to rest in Christ. So we ask, how do, how do I have confidence that, that someone is a Christian? How do I have confidence that I, myself, am a Christian? We are actively following Christ. They are actively following Christ. They don't stop. But can you see how this belief of once saved, always saved can be abused? Even unintentionally being abused? Like, absolutely, right? Someone being like, well, well, if I can't lose my salvation, then I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want to do, right? No. That's not what it means to be free in Christ. And that mindset should not give anyone, or the one holding that view, any encouragement that they are in fact actually saved. As Paul so clearly states or asks through his letters, well, should I continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. So back to the question. What does it mean to be free in Christ? This, this freedom being that of complete and total freedom in Christ. What does that look like? like what's required for this to, to happen and, and exist? And I'm so thankful for, for Pastor John Piper who, who answers this question by listing out four things that have to exist. And one, he says that there, there has to be a freedom of desire. you got to want whatever it is before, if you're going to do it, right? Two, there has to be freedom of ability. You have to have the ability to do whatever you want to do. Three, there has to be the freedom of opportunity. You have to have the opportunity to do what it is that you desire to do. And four, there must be the freedom of no regrets. No fear of guilt or condemnation in doing what you desire to do. That's what it means to be free. So to illustrate this, consider the, the driver's license illustration I shared at the start of this series. So when, like when I got my driver's license, like many of you, I had the freedom to drive. I had wheels. I had the ability to go. But I could only go as far as my parents would allow me to go. The parental law oversaw and superseded the government law. So I could only go where they allowed me to go. And I absolutely was prohibited from crossing the bridge to the neighboring city. To, to, to be caught doing so, would, would, just to say slightly, would, would bring punishment. But I remember that the night that I finally got permission to cross the bridge... There was an Alan Jackson concert. Don't judge me, but there was there was an Alan Jackson concert that I really wanted to go uh, to with some friends. And out of nowhere, my dad gave me permission to go. And not only did he give permission to go, he gave me permission to drive. 
to the concert, which means I had to cross the bridge. So I had permission to cross the bridge. And that night, I drove over the bridge for the very first time without the fear of guilt or condemnation. Now, I'm not saying I had never driven across the bridge before, but this was the first time without the fear of guilt or condemnation. Why? Because I was free to cross the bridge. My father had given me permission to cross the bridge. But what was required for this freedom to exist? Well, let's think about that for a moment. Well, one, there had to be the freedom of desire, right? I had to desire to cross the bridge. If that desire doesn't exist, well, nothing else matters. But then what? Well, then I had to have the freedom of ability. I had to have a driver's license. Had to have the ability to drive. No driver's license, no ability. You know, then it's not going to happen. But now I'm two for two. So what's next? Well, number three, I have to have the freedom of opportunity. Which I only had when what? Well, when my dad gave me permission to cross the bridge. That permission gave the freedom of opportunity. But remember, in one sense, I had already had opportunity, didn't I? Lack of permission hadn't stopped me from maybe crossing the bridge on occasion. Had it? No. So what was different this time? Well, I possessed... Number four, the the freedom from regret. I possessed the freedom of guilt and condemnation. I knew I was free to cross the bridge without the fear of condemnation. My father had given me this freedom. (laughs) But now, what if I drove up to the bridge with this newfound freedom and I just couldn't cross? Would I be free? Well, Yes and and no, right? Positionally, legally, yes, free. Practically, not living as though I'm free. Which is how many Christians find themselves living. Living as slaves, even though they're free. We've we've talked about this already. but, But we can't stop here, can we? As the freedom of regret and guilt and condemnation goes a step further. Because it's not just unconditional freedom to live and do whatever we want to do and live and do free of of guilt and condemnation. It's freedom of regret, guilt, and condemnation like 10,000 years from now. See, we're not just talking about what we can get away with or or what we can do for temporal pleasure. We're talking about freedom that brings us the greatest joy now and forever. Joy in the midst of self-isolation and quarantine and in the midst of crowded groups of people. And what's required for, for that type of freedom? Well, Piper uses an illustration of a skydiver. Free falling and loving every single minute of it. Had the freedom of desire. Had the freedom of ability. Had the freedom of opportunity. Even had the freedom of regret. Jumped out of that plane. Perfectly good plane. And again, loving every minute of the free fall. Until he or she goes to pull the chute and it doesn't open. Now, 
in that moment when the chute doesn't open, what is immediately gone? Desire. Want to be anywhere but there, right? I want to be on ground. I want to be in the perfectly working plane. And now what exists? Regret. Guilt. Not freedom. Why? Because though you thought you were free, enjoying it all in that moment, having your best life now in the free fall, what is the actual reality of your of your present existence? You're about to be dead. Same is true for the person who is not trusting in Christ as their only hope in life and in death. Enjoying everything that this world has to offer. But not trusting in Christ. You're on the path to death. Church, coronavirus likely will not be your demise. But what the coronavirus is a very vivid reminder of is our own mortality. Every single one of us will die. The only questions are how and when. And how then are we going to live between now and then? Free in Christ? Living and doing what will matter like most 10,000 years from now? Or under the yoke of slavery, of sin and death? Brings us to question number two. Promise it won't be as long as question number one. What if you accept the law as a means of justification? What if you accept your works as your or, or your actions as your means of earning your righteousness before God? Whether it's through an act of circumcision, like strict obedience to the law, like the false teachers in Galatia are teaching, or, or maybe it's through some other good work, being a good religious person, thinking, well, if I, if I go to church and I, and I do X, Y, and Z, then, then I'll be good. God will, will love me. He'll accept me. Well, if that's you and you're relying on going to church for your righteousness, <laughs> you're kind of up a creek right now, aren't you? Or, or what if it's under normal circumstances and, and you're sick and you're unable to attend church? What, what, what if you miss your quiet time? Don't do your Bible study one day. Does God now love you less or not at all as a result? No. So while you have some who will lean into once saved, always saved as an excuse to live however they want to live, there are others who want to lean into their works as a means of justification. You ha have to do these things if you want to be right with God. You have to go to church. You have to read your Bible. You have to be baptized. You have to do any number of things. Things that are in and of themselves good things, needed things, but not needed to save you. As Paul says in verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... If you accept works as a means of salvation, earning your standing before God, then he lists out three things. Three things that if you do this, this is, this is what you can expect. The first is found in verse 2. Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's very clear. Paul's saying, if you accept your works, your actions, even in the smallest sense, Christ and his works are of no use 
to you. He's echoing his words from earlier in the letter. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. You can flip back there just a couple pages real quick. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I'm sorry. He said, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Meaning you can't have both. You're either trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, or you're trusting in yourself alone for your salvation. So the question you have to ask is, which is it? And if you answer by pointing to your works, then verse 3 is clear. You're obligated to keep the whole law. It's Galatians 3.10. Galatians 3.10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you're looking for your goodness, your righteousness uh, to to make you right with God, if if you just do enough good things, maybe God will love you or love you more. If if your good and stuff can just outweigh your, your bad stuff, if that's kind of your framework, your way of thinking, Text is telling us you must live a life of absolute perfection. And here's the thing. You can't. None of us can. Why? Because no one is justified before God by the law. But if you insist, that is, insist on relying on your works in some way as a means of righteousness, then verse 4. You are severed from Christ. As Paul says, you have fallen away from grace. Now, let's be clear. He's not saying that you've lost your salvation. That can't happen if you are truly in Christ. He's saying your reliance on your works proves you never received God's grace to begin with. You can't lose what you never had. See, when we, we put like even the smallest amount of trust in, in, in our works, we're saying, whether we realize it or not, that, that faith is not enough, that Christ is not enough. In church, that is not the path to freedom. That is the path to slavery. And it's a path that leads to death, regardless of how free it may leave us feeling. No matter how much joy you may have in the present moment, if you're relying on your works, you are on the path of slavery and death. Which brings us to question number three. What is the path of freedom? Verse five, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. It's the theme of this letter. It's the theme of this entire series. Salvation is found one way which means freedom is found one way. Church, you can say it with me at home. How are we saved? By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus. And again, the focus is on being in Christ Jesus. doesn't say, oh, in my baptism, in my good actions, or in my church attendance, in, in, in me. But for in Christ Our faith is rooted completely in Christ. For without Christ, we have no hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile, grew up religious or unreligious, were raised in a Christian home or not raised in a Christian home. The only boast we have is in Christ. Right now in our circumstance, the only boast we have is in Christ, which is rooted exclusively in faith. But the Galatians, like so many today, are being deceived to believe otherwise, which is what perplexes Paul doesn't understand why why they're choosing to believe and follow false teachers. Verse 7 saying, you're running well. You were running well. I hear hear the tone of a parent here. Like, you were doing so well. What happened? Church, I also hear the tone of a pastor here. You were running well. Doing so well. What happened? Paul asking, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Which brings us to question number four. What hinders you from obeying the truth? See, it's easy to listen to a sermon like this and maybe just disengage mentally. Especially when you're home in a different environment, maybe walking around even and listening. Maybe even think it doesn't apply. So I encourage you to, to open up your Bibles, take time just to sit, to meditate upon God's Word and listen to what He's saying through the text. Maybe you feel like you are running well right now. If so, praise God. Maybe you're not running well. Or maybe you had been running well and now you're just not too sure. But church, let's let's not be naive. What we're in the midst of is unprecedented in any of our lifetimes. It has every ability to cause any and all of us to stumble, to doubt, to worry. Whether it's in doubting the promises of God, doubting His goodness, believing we have to become our own saviors, the threat of spiritual depression is real. And so is the threat of of listening to and believing false teaching. All you have to do is look at your social media feed to see example after example. Many well-meaning people seeking and finding what, what they believe to be comfort and good advice from really bad teaching. Absolutely impossible to, to list all the examples here. But as good as technology can be in times such as these, it can also be incredibly dangerous. As Paul says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul using a very clear baking illustration to make his point. You want the bread to rise? Only takes just a little leaven. It doesn't need much. Want to be hindered from running well? Only takes believing a little false teaching. A, A slight distortion is enough to distort the entire gospel. Add one thing to the gospel, have to walk down an aisle, got to join a church, have to go to church, have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be saved or or be right with God, then you have unintentionally created or believed a false gospel. Which brings us full circle to question number five. What must I do to fulfill the law? And the answer is quite simple. Follow Christ. 
Put your faith in Christ. Rest in the finished work of Christ. You yourself cannot fulfill the law in your strength. But if you are in Christ, here's what you can do. Not because of your strength, not because of your wisdom, nor your ability, but because of the work of Christ in you, because of the work of the Spirit in you, you can, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, yes. Doing that exclusively through faith, yes. Realizing even our ability to love God is a gift of God's grace, yes. And then from that love, we are able to love our neighbor. We are able to love people. Love God, love people. Loving our neighbor is the way our love for God is made visible. Church, oh, what a time as this to take our motto of love God, love people, clearly seen throughout Scripture, and see it made known through a time such as this. Meaning, loving our neighbor doesn't does not save us in any way, but it is evidence of our salvation. Because when we love our neighbor, and again, let's take our present circumstance as an example, what are we doing? We're sacrificing. If we're really loving our neighbor, there's going to come time of sacrifice. And this is the first time in any of us, for any of us, have ever remotely wondered if there will be bread at the store. First time we've ever thought about not having, let's be honest, anything. So to, to love our neighbor requires sacrifice. It requires putting the interest of others ahead of ourself, which is exactly what Jesus did when he laid down his life for sinners. But now maybe you're asking, okay, but how does this apply to our freedom? And here's how. If you are in Christ, that is trusting him as your only hope in life and in death, you are free. You're free. So even in the midst of our current circumstance, that means we are free to do what will matter most 10,000 years from now. Even if you feel like you're under house arrest, you are free to do what matters most 10,000 years from now. So take this season and redeem this time for eternal purposes. Embrace the freedom that is found in Christ for the glory of Christ. Realize there are countless numbers of people all around us, well, maybe six feet away from us, who are right now, free falling, have been in their minds freely enjoying everything this world has to offer, but they're living with a faulty parachute and they don't know it. They're trusting in their works to save them, their, their goodness to save them, trusting in modern medical science to be their savior. And there's nothing wrong with, with medical science, nothing wrong with hand sanitizer. Praise God for those things. But there is only one cure for the sin virus that plagues us all. And his name is Jesus. So I'm not saying we, we, we can't make time to binge watch some shows during this season. Enjoy time with family, yes. But let us be intentional about loving our neighbor as ourselves, Loving the children God has in our homes as ourselves, Making little disciples along the way. Teaching them how to follow Christ in the midst of suffering. Maybe reaching out to a neighbor and sharing that extra roll of, of toilet paper. 
bring in a gallon of milk. Maybe just these things may just be God's means that he uses to, to open doors to share the gospel. Maybe this circumstance are the doors that open for your kids to ask the questions that lead them to Christ. Point them to Christ. Point everybody to Christ. Church, chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what real freedom looks like. Let's pray. Oh Lord, in this season of uncertainty, we again thank you that your promises are certain, that your truths are certain. May we not waste this season, but rather embrace it as an opportunity to make much of Christ. Embrace it as an opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ and love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we ask for you to eradicate this virus, heal those who are sick, keep the healthy from getting sick, let our economy rebound quickly, protect jobs, and through it all, help us to rely on and depend on you ever more each and every day. Help us to see you as the all-sufficient God that you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.